Okay, Scotty, it's all you. Uh, I, oh, there's there I am. So I was told to talk when I saw myself. So hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, July 11th, 2018 edition of our little weather get-together. This is show number 239, and it's... Um, open mic night that's how peter phrased it on youtube so that's what we're going with tonight uh we are happy to have you with us uh we were supposed to have uh, dr kreipner uh our volcano volcano specialist and um she and i we just miscommunicated and we got the wrong time so she's going to be joining us uh on july 25th so that kind of left us tonight with an open table uh, to kind of discuss whatever we want, and definitely uh, has been an active uh, week since uh, we last spoke. We were not here last week because of the 4th of July, and since then we've had two tropical systems, and we'll uh, bring Shay and Jared in on those and uh, let them give the, uh, the the latest analysis of those. But uh, if you do want to interact with us tonight, you can do that uh, one of many ways. We have Facebook Live going, Periscope. Uh, we're also monitoring our uh, YouTube page, so if you have any questions, you can insert them there as well. And uh, yeah, we'll get to them tonight. So this show is um, kind of free free flowing. So uh, we'll just kind of bring up some topics, maybe some things that's been going on in the weather industry and uh, things that's been affecting uh, the southeast. So before we do that, we will go around to our weather roundtable, and we'll bring in um our uh let's bring in eric eric's not been with us for the past few weeks so eric how they, how are things uh there in the memphis tennessee area i've been on sabbatical i've been <laughs> uh studying and learning actually no i really haven't um not too bad here in memphis it's uh it's summertime and so we get the uh, daily pop-up storms and uh 105 heat index pretty much every day is just like a broken record here. Um, but uh, did have a, a little bit of a break from that um, uh, last week, but uh, things have kind of gotten back into shape. And the big question around here uh, these days is why do the storms keep moving backwards? So I had to do a blog <laughs> yesterday about high pressure to the north and uh, east to west moving uh, storms. It's, it's just basically like we're sitting on the beach with a trade wind, only we don't have the beach. So that's what's going on around here, Scotty. Eric, that's the same thing that's going on here in the Carolinas. We've had a lot of our storms moving from east to west as well. And if I'm not mistaken, before we uh, toss over to Jared, you uh, and the family had a little vacation, right? We did, yes. Uh, we went to the cooler climbs of uh, Toronto and Niagara Falls. It was uh, 85 to 90 each day. I was really hoping for some cool weather. <laughs> but it was, you know, back a week and a half ago when the Northeast and the, and the Great Lakes were baking under those record highs. Uh, yeah, we were there. So <laughs> didn't get much of a relief, but uh, it was beautiful and uh, we enjoyed it and uh, glad to be back in the saddle, though. Well, I'm sure they were glad for you guys to leave so they could get cooler <laughs> weather in there. They definitely were. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of uh, warm weather, let's uh, go down to the uh, Charleston area. And uh, Jared, how are things there in the uh, beautiful city of Charleston, South Carolina? You know, I thought I'd never say this, but I want Monday back. It was absolutely wonderful on Monday. We topped out about 88, 89. The dew point was uh, in the low 60s. The We set several minimum precipitable water values uh according to SPC climatology that dr the the air mass that was in place behind chris was so dry um it felt almost like april or september it was fantastic i really 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 want monday back because today it was 95 with a heat index of 100 and it's just not going to get any better from there my friends um we're gonna, we're gonna cool off a little bit uh, we got so we're gonna get some uh, low pressure is gonna work in and start kicking up some our usual afternoon and evening showers and thunderstorms. So back to that busy time, uh, it was nice to get a break, to put it mildly. Um, uh, but but we miss you, Chris. Uh, please come back. Uh, <laughs> it's it, we thought it was the best behaved hurricane ever, and then we saw some pictures uh, out of the Outer Banks, which is uh, it's been it's been a bad boy. So uh, we don't we don't. Want, uh, you know, we don't we don't like to hear that. We don't like to hear about people, you know, dealing with rip currents. And we've had a, a, a few issues with that as well. But I've also been uh, uh, playing around with uh, let me let me share my screen a little bit. We can see where old Chris is. And then I think we'll we'll throw it over to Mr. Gibson. And uh, he's got my got my screen up there. Here's a full disk imagery from uh, Go 16. A little true color, a little true color action just from the last. Oh, 
12 hours or so. You can see Chris rocketing away, leaving us with a just a typical summertime cumulus field. And you can start to see some of that Saharan dust moving in, and Shay is going to have a lot more about that. So, Jared, I hate to correct you, but I think the official term from the Hurricane Center was skedaddling. It was yes, that's out. right. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was skedaddling. That that that's true. I I definitely I apologize <laughs> to everybody. Uh, the technical term is skedaddling. So it's it is. It's uh, it's getting a move on, as what we say, uh, you know, in formal communication. So, yeah. So skedaddling. So before we skedaddle to Shay, let's go to James. And James, how are things there in the Charlotte area? So good. You want oh. some mix? <laughs> <laughs> if he's not on Grand Theft Auto, he's eating. That's eating. right. We did a bruise job. What flavor trail mix do you have tonight? These are the Target brand uh, peanut butter monster. Peanut They're butter really monster. Delicious. Yeah, hmm. they're pretty good. That's right. We did a pre-show on my other channel. We played a Grand Theft Auto before their show because we didn't have a guest to prepare for, and um, we're just hanging out tonight. I uh, was all psyched up, and Scotty said to me at the beginning of the show, "Are we going to roll the open tonight?" And I said, "Yeah, we're going to roll the open, and you're going to see it, and you're going to hear it." And then I hit play, and nothing happened. It didn't happen. But there it is. See. Yeah. It does exist. Um, so I made myself look foolish. Then it does. The, it, does exist. Yeah. it just doesn't behave. So, but um, I'll just repeat what Jared said. The weather's been beautiful. Although I am not going to mutter the words. I wish it was still Monday because those are just words <laughs> you don't mutter. So I'm done now. Uh, Back by to the you. way, by the way, James has had like three cups of coffee tonight. Yep. This is why we, we love caffeinated James. I mean, it's just the best. Actually, and I also discovered this. I'm using a green cup, and I'm oh. sitting in front of a green screen. That's not a secret, right? It's like, oh, it's disappearing. Look at that. Look at that. TV magic. I'm done now. Why do, you, why do you guys think I drink Pellegrino all the time? It's really fun to watch it just disappear. Just... Well, I'm drinking orange Kool-Aid tonight, if anybody wants to know. I think sure. another podcast sure you are. has this. The other podcasts, uh, the Stormfront Freaks, they talk about what they're drinking all the time. So I'm drinking orange Kool-Aid tonight. James, You know what? I've been listening to a lot of other podcasts on Stitcher because our show's on Stitcher, and I thought I'd check it out. And so I've been listening to, like, Weather Geeks. That's a very professional show. But then there are other shows, like Giant Bomb, where they talk about video games for an hour. Yeah, it's totally just like, yeah, so I did this thing today. Oh, by the way, I put this video game. And then I did this other thing today. And, hey, have you tried the new Coke, Pepsi? Pepsi, Pepsi Zero, the thing from the '80s. That's great. We're totally off topic. Why do we? Why do we be so rigid all the time? I don't know. I, we like free flowing shows. All right, this, Shay. This I know, Shay. I know you have honestly prepared for the tropics tonight, so we'll give it to you. We'll let you talk about the tropics. Okay. Well, let's see. We um we had a little bit of tropical activity going on, and and it sort of got everyone's attention for a bit. Um. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk on what what kind of brought this on in July. July is typically kind of a quiet month. And yet here we are. We got a Category 2 Hurricane Chris off of the Carolina coast. Uh, the good thing was is that it did not make landfall, nor did it make any tropical storm force wind landfalls along the coastline either. So the only thing that we've had is some high wave activity. Scotty's got some pictures up in the Outer Banks to share with you. Uh, some rip current forecasting. Uh, obviously got the National Weather Service office is very busy over the last several days, but Chris is on his way out of the picture now, and we're, we're watching another area. So um, the, the question is, is uh, okay, what, what's with the up spike or the, um, the spike in activity across the northern Atlantic or the Atlantic, we call it the Atlantic Basin. And we have to attribute some of that to what's called Kelvin waving. And this is just atmospheric dynamics coupled with surface dynamics. And you get a, an eastward propagating wave of energy that sort of brings... Uh, more convection over an area and anomalously warmer waters. And then so when you get these two combined, we call that convectively coupled. And so uh, that, we sort of had an uptick in that, just a, a, an eastward propagating wave that's out of the picture now. So a lot of the activity along the equatorial Atlantic is starting to calm down now. In fact, I'll go ahead and share screen, see if I can uh, present to everyone, if it will let me. Of course, it didn't... Um, let me share. Here we go. Let me share screen first. I'm glad I'm not the only one with a misbehaving computer tonight. 
So I guess if you can see this, okay. Um, you know, now what we have along the, we call this the equatorial Atlantic, everything looks pretty dry now. We have a Saharan air layer, which is dust, uh, that is suspended at the mid-levels of the atmosphere that's keeping the atmosphere very dry, not a lot of convective activity. This is the water vapor loop showing very little moisture abundance in the atmosphere along this area where we had barrel that uh, grew to tro tropical storm barrel and it was briefly hurricane, we, we, then, it, then it fizzled out. It came from this area underneath the Saharan air layer. So if we go back to, um, uh, let me share another screen, Let's see if I can't get this up and running. And when we look at the NASA worldview, we can get a better idea of this. So what happens is a lot of time in the tropics, um, this, this Saharan dust is a lot more present this time of the year, and it sort of starts to relax a little bit, or it actually propagates further north uh, towards the northwestern quadrant of, of Africa as high pressures to the north sort of subside. And what it is, is this is low-level jetting at nighttime, kicking up a lot of dust off of the desert. And it gets suspended up at the mid-levels of the atmosphere. We're talking 18,000 feet. And, it, and it's just sort of floating along. I mean, the atmosphere carries it all the way across the Atlantic. You can see this giant swath of air getting wrapped into an upper low coming off the coast. And it's just this kind of dry air right here reflects the sunlight. It, um, it also keeps the air below it a little bit cooler. And so really what it is is it's a decoupler for any kind of tropical systems. And, and in fact, the African dust saves us along the coast many times or along eastern territories or U.S. interests uh, from getting tropical cyclones developed in this area. And, and so all this travels towards the west, ends up dispersing over these islands. These islands are used to it. Folks down in southern Florida, even parts of Texas, South America, Latin America, uh, they all get some of the fallout from this dust. And it never gets too bad where people can't breathe or anything. It's just one of these uh, things that happens. And um, so when we have a, a giant surge like this, we find a lot less activity coming across the tropical Atlantic. And so we don't expect anything to develop anytime soon over this area that we call this the intertropical convergence zone or the equatorial Atlantic, where we find a lot of the activity. Uh, the more of the concern is actually here closer over the Bahamas, uh, where this is close to the United States. And so what we have is we have very warm waters over this area and a little less upper shear. So there's a little bit less upper activity to debilitate systems. This one has a 50% chance. This is actually X barrel. And if we look at, it, it really looks like just a disorganized wave is all it is. Uh, and we look at the five-day graphical outlook from 8 p.m. This is fresh off the uh, press. This one looks like it's going to hook out to sea from a cold front coming across the United States. So, again, you know, this one's going to follow the, the footsteps of Chris. Uh, so if it does develop, it will get the name barrel again if it becomes a tropical storm. Uh, and then it, it is expected to stay off the coastline and hook out to sea along a front. Uh, so that that is um, what's going on right now. Two systems born a little bit, I wouldn't say early in the month, but Chris, being a hurricane of 90 miles per hour, it was at 105 at one point, making it the strongest storm in July since I think 2010. I'll have to go back and look at Phil Klotzbach's uh, stats on that. But uh, a, a powerful storm for July indeed. What's really neat is that we got to watch it off of the coastline safely. Uh, but we look at the sea surface temperatures, and this is a loop. This goes back from... Let me see here, July or June 22nd through present. And we can see off the coast of Carolina where the storm went, we see the surge in sea surface temperatures going up from southerly winds and warm waters just heading to the north. And then we see the very end, the last couple of frames where the water starting to cool down. That's where uh, the cool water upwelling is occurring from Hurricane Chris and it's heading off to the northeast. So uh, nothing is expected to develop off that coast. But uh, with that said, we always have to look towards the uh, let me share the screen one more time. And I don't want to get too, too much into this, but, uh, you know, we see this frontal activity dropping through Tennessee, parts of Carol the, the Carolinas right now, even parts of uh, all the way up to the mid-Atlantic. And these are the areas we got to watch. These fronts, these cold fronts, they come down, they stall across the southeast region. We always joke around saying that this is where fronts come to die. Well, this time of the year when you have warm waters off the coast, if you get high pressure building to the north off the Great Lakes over the top of these things, it gives it sort of a top spin. So that's that's sort of what we're looking at possibility with barrel regenerating into another named storm. And any kind of front like this is a potential candidate for a new tropical cyclone to develop near shore. And we call these home homegrown systems. So we have to really watch these for any low pressures that develop along the boundary just off the coast. 
or even some of the MCVs or storm systems that spin up just inland can actually become a tropical system as they move offshore over the warmer waters too. So yeah, you know, we just we got to watch real close to our coastline right now. That's that's pretty much the gist of it. I mean, we talked about the Saharan earlier helping out uh, disperse some of the systems, but now right now I don't think we have anything to worry about across the intertropical convergence zone, equatorial Atlantic. What we're going to be looking for now is uh, maybe the northeast to northern Gulf in those areas where the water is extremely warm and also just off the southeast coast. So especially North Carolina where the fronts sort of drop in and they stall and these little lows come up. And so those, those are the areas we're going to be watching now, but nothing of any kind of significant threat right now. So right Scotty, even though Hurricane Chris stayed offshore, we saw some we still saw extensive damage to some of the homes up there. If you want to give that a whirl, Scotty. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll pull this. Hold on one second. There's a, there's a severe thunderstorm warning issued. Hold on. <laughs> Breaking wow. news. Wow. At first, I okay. thought that was like an old school telephone. Yeah, I know. I was expecting one of those push button, like, you know, one of the French phones from the 80s. I know. Well, he's testing out, he's testing out my, like, point and click radars here. So you can't, you can't make this stuff up. That I Well, everyone, there you see, I have a weather radio, and it goes off when there's a severe thunderstorm warning issued in, in my area. So Points for being prepared. Yeah, this one's for Rutherford County. Uh, I think I was just looking at radar. There's a, a hell core of about one inch in diameter hell possible. So, uh, but yeah, let's go to uh, Facebook, and uh, this is from Epic Shutter Photography. Um, let me share the screen right quick. And uh, this was of some of the uh, the damage uh, that Hurricane Chris uh, caused in Rodanthe. This is on the Outer Banks, and you can see. Uh, as Shay was talking about, it really never made landfall, but we saw the uh, the outer effects with, with a lot of storm surge and uh, some erosion. And so uh, here are some pictures from um, the Rodanthe area. And as you can see, uh, obviously, when you're at the coast, there's a lot of homes near the ocean. And um, I'm assuming this was during high tide. Um, these, these waves came up and created some havoc on these homes and um i guess this is the uh, one downfall shay and jared i guess you guys know more than anybody else of living around the coast is uh even though if the hurricane doesn't really make landfall you your area could still be affected by its by its um by the the effects of a hurricane yeah scotty you're absolutely right they're they're actually pretty lucky that they didn't have a landfalling storm because right now we just went into perigean spring tide phase this week uh, starting yesterday. And um, so some folks know that as King Tides from the Coastal Initiative that's going on with mycoast.org. Got to make a mention there because that's a great initiative uh, for coastal resiliency efforts. And this is just another prime example of, of classic uh, perigean spring tide rise, sea level rise combined with a storm offshore. And this was this only got to a category two hurricane. It did meander for several days, so it did kick up a swell. But yeah, I mean, you, you can see how much damage it's doing just without even making landfall yeah so um i know these folks are, are almost seasoned veterans of, of of tropical systems out on the coast but you never want to see um, property uh, affected by these things so um, hopefully they can get things repaired and, and get ready for uh, the rest of the storm season so uh, but yeah shay that's uh that was interesting um uh, you know with, with with Chris just kind of sitting there, I know a lot of people were talking about the upwelling and why that wasn't really um, weakening Chris because of that cooler water being forced up to the surface. But this was kind of over the uh, Gulf Stream as well. Yeah, that's right. So the Gulf Stream is a constant. Uh, the Gulf Stream is what is called a thermohaline current, and it's a surface current, rather shallow, but it's a it's a, a little it's a fresher water body and it's constantly streaming from South to North. And so it's replenishing that warm water over and over again. So if a storm is over that, it's not very, very wide though. It's maybe 60 to hundred miles wide in total. Um, we're at the heart of the warmest water. And so, you know, if you get that, a lot of times there's, there's cloud banks out there. There's all kinds of, I call it sort of an artificial landmass because of its constant warm waters acting sort of like a landmass, especially in the winter time, you can really see fronts firing off out there and storms. Uh, but with a with a tropical system, that tends to give it some additional fuel and elongates its its strengthening. Now, after several days of northerly winds off of the North Carolina coast, that cool water upwelling coming from the shelf pulled into the storm down at the surface. Also, some dry air got wrapped up around Chris. So I think there was a, a little bit of a debate on Twitter. I don't know if you guys caught that. I'm not going to name who, but there was a debate. And, um, and I think both of those together 
helped to really keep Chris from blowing up. Because at one point, I did think it might have been a great candidate for rapid intensification. And it certainly looked like it was going to do that yesterday into last night. Uh, but once it, get, once it gets on the move and starts heading to the northeast over slightly cooler waters in time, uh, those storms tend to um, elongate, become more asymmetrical. And what we're seeing now is Chris uh, racing off to the northeast. So, in fact, let's go ahead and take a look at the two-day. Because there is some interest for parts of eastern Canada to be on the lookout and uh, and we can see out here, here's, here's the, the future track. Of course, it goes into the North Sea. Um, and you can see right here, just skirting the edge of, of eastern Canada. Uh, so it's some interest there. But the storm itself does not look that like it's going to hold up or anything. It usually becomes extra tropical by this point. So I, as I said the other day or, or yesterday afternoon, go ahead and fire the, uh, the flaming Viking arrow into it as it goes away. It's going to race away pretty fast. Uh, but, you know, Category 2 hurricane in July. And so we've had our first uh, near major, not all, not quite there, very close. Where I think we were about six miles an hour off of having a category three. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll was, keep watching. One thing, oh. Be- Be- oh, I'm sorry, James, go ahead. No, actually, that Eric, was, that ahead. was mean. I was just uh, I'm look back at uh, Philip Klotzbach's uh, Twitter feed to clarify a couple of those things mentioned earlier. Um, he did say about noon today that this. Uh, Chris being a Category 2 at 36.4 north was the last time uh, a Category 2 hurricane was that far north in the Atlantic this early in the year was 1906. So uh, obviously uh, one for the records there. Um, And I think it was the uh, the lowest Atlantic hurricane uh, pressure this early in the calendar year in uh, eight years since Alex in 2010. So that's I think that's what I was reading. I couldn't remember which which stat. uh, Yep. That's good. I mean, uh, that's good to know. He's the guy to go to. So if, you, if you're ever looking for stats on hurricanes, tropical systems, as they're in real time or just in general, Phil Philip Klotzbach, he's with Colorado State University. Brilliant, brilliant man. He worked under Dr. William Gray and um, swears by his work every day of his life. He's just he's a great individual and he keeps up with those stats. He's probably the best one to, to look up uh, if you want to find out more information about what's going on now with storms how they compare to past storms and then anything else in the past as well. So um, great guy. Kind of speaking on the tropics, uh, a little controversial topic that popped up over uh, the weekend uh, with barrel that developed in the, uh, in the the Atlantic. Um, One of the major news networks um, posted a a photo on Twitter, uh, a stock photo of a a pretty big hurricane and, and talked about the possible effects that it could have on Puerto Rico. Uh, and I know that was a big topic on weather Twitter. And I want to pose this question to you guys. Um, do you feel like that's something we're going to have to deal with this tropical season with those who may not be experienced in the weather world and they want to get that snappy headline? Do you think that they're going to include what happened in Puerto Rico to kind of hype things up this year? Well, I think you're always always looking for a headline and always looking for an angle and a slant. And so, um, you know, if, if it's if it's starting off already with um, with barrel, uh, I certainly can't rule it out. But you know, the the truth is, Puerto Rico is still really really hurting, um, and you know, it's it's not going to take much. There's the, the infrastructure is weak um, and still being reconstructed. And so, I, I think there's you know, while it may be an angle or a slant or clickbait or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, I think there's some partial truth to it as well. Yeah, I agree. I think folks are, they're going to use uh, Harvey, Maria, Irma, um, you know, whatever they can to sort of emphasize, get people, get people to look their way. Um, you know, barrel was a really interesting storm and there was, there was a cause for some concern from the national hurricane center for the lesser Antilles specifically in the Dominica and, Guadalupe, Guadalupe area, because the storm looked like uh, it may actually get bigger. It may intensify. Um, There was a lot of debate on that. And these smaller compact storms that are born out of the ITCZ under dry air sometimes have have a knack for weathering some of the dry air and some of the challenges. But just as easily as they can stay spinning and and grow in intensity, even the small reminds me of Danny from 2015, how small the thing was. you know, as fast as they can spin up and, and as um, intense as they can get, they can also get ripped apart pretty fast too. It doesn't take very much. They're very small. Um, 
you know, that, that dry air, it looked like it just may lift a little further north, but they weren't sure. So they went ahead and issued tropical storm warnings, hurricane watches for the islands. But then, you know, 24, 36 hours out, it sort of it started to fall apart. And so they, they were able to drop all those watches and warnings by the time it hit the islands. It was a strong wave. They kept the tropical storm watch in effect um, through the period for Dominica. And uh, they did fine. I was in touch with the majority. Uh, they're, they're a media um, outlet down there and uh, a guy named Nigel Shamari, good friend of mine down there. He runs the station and uh, they do a lot of broadcasting across the Caribbean islands. And, and so, you know, I was able to tell him, look, everything's going to, everything's going to be fine with this one. You know, it's, it's going to fall apart. It's going to be okay. And, uh, and they ended up being all right because they're, they're still very vulnerable down there for Maria and Irma. And a lot of those islands, they're not ready for it. They're just not ready yet. They're just getting, they just picked themselves up out of the rubble. Uh, things are starting to get built. Uh, power grids are finally back online for some of these places. And, um, you know, Puerto Rico, I'm not sure. Do we have Doppler radar down there yet? Has that come online? Yep, it came back about two weeks ago. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm seeing it here. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, I mean, you know, they, they're just getting they're just getting back on their feet. So it was, it was a good dodge on this one. It is. And, and um it just kind of goes to show you watch. I mean, even though these big outlets um, talk about this, it's always um, always go to a trusted weather source because uh, when these big outlets get these stories, there's not always meteorologists who are who are conducting the story. So uh, I, I know it's open mic night, and I know James just said that we have several questions in, in uh, our Facebook pages. Uh, we did have one question on our uh, YouTube page. This is from DM Clean. Uh, zero two, and he was wanting to know uh, what happened to all the local news station radar uh, weather radars. It looks like they only use National Weather Service uh, radars now compared to the early 2000s and 1990s uh, when every station had their super Doppler, whatever. Uh, so his question is what happened to television stations that used to maintain their own radar um, system? And now they relay to uh, the weather service. And James, uh, yep. you out of everybody worked uh, TV out of us. Uh, so I'll, I'll give that question to you first. They became too expensive is my best educated guess. Um, Doppler radars and equipment are expensive to run. TV stations, and I don't want to generalize, but are not the cash cows they necessarily were in the 90s. Uh, best explanation there in the shortest amount of time I can say is thank the internet. Um, and so why run your own Doppler radar when you can just use one the government provides for free? I think there are some good use cases for having your own Doppler radar, especially if you're going to help fill a hole that the government hasn't quite yet filled. Um, but uh, that's that's my best educated guess, Scotty, is just that it became too expensive. And I think we saw that with several stations who had them. Some equipment failed and they just never were replaced or fixed. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I know a lot of stations in Charlotte once had their own radar system, and uh, due to one thing or another, just the upkeep uh, was getting to be too costly. And uh, Jared, I think you guys down in the Charleston area, you guys have a few stations that maybe you still have the radar or once had the radar. Yeah, uh, WCSC, I, I mean, I drive by the tower every day, so they still see the big dome, and um and but it's it's not spun for years. Uh, the old Super Doppler five thousand. Talking about Super Dopplers, right? I mean, um, they were the only one. They were the only station in the Charleston area to run their own radar. Everybody else would run off of the Nextrads. Uh, we have pretty decent Nextrad coverage here in Charleston, uh, in the Charleston DMA. So it, it's not quite as uh, crucial. I bet they did wish when we had the great radar outage of twenty eighteen earlier this year when KCLX was down for four weeks i bet they wish they had that radar back um because that would have been a huge competitive advantage i think we actually talked about that uh on the show a little bit um but yeah i, I definitely you know from what i understand about that you know it's cost it's upkeep it's it's all of those factors now it's not everywhere you see um you know oklahoma city uh you know that they, they they are still in escalating doppler wars if you look at uh the OKC television market, for example, you have uh, Next Gen. So, with the barren weather radar that you know um, they uh, they claim is faster than the Net Weather Service by ten minutes. That's not really understanding the the Weather Service radar technology in the last 
decade or two. Um, there's a, you have a KFOR with their dual Doppler. And then I believe KOCO has their own as well, or maybe they're just using fast track with TLX, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, so there are some markets where they still see that as a competitive advantage, but here the, the weather service radars have gotten, they've gotten really good. Um, and, and the scan times, it used to be scan times, right? So 60 seconds, it would go, you would go around and get a live sweep every 60 seconds. And, um, but now with sales, um, which is basically the weather service radar operator will set the radar to come around every 65 to 75 seconds. Um, they get basically the same coverage that they would have if uh, they were running their own. Yeah, and Eric, yeah. I think you had a comment. Yeah, and I was, and I'm just going to go back and echo what Jared just said because those were basically my same points. Um, here in Memphis, we've got the three network stations that um, that all have their own. Uh, one of them has been upgraded recently, um, but but like you said, I think the I think the besides the cost factor the availability of the data from the National Weather Service and the fact that they have higher scan rates um, and a lot of the dual pole stuff. I know, you know, TV stations generally don't use um, that dual pole information, but but the vendors are making all of that available as well. And so you can get a lot of the same information from the Weather Service radars um, that uh, that you can get from having your own at this point, unless, unless you know, you've got a network outage or something, of course, the radar goes down. But um, Generally, they do their best to try and time that at you know periods where the weather's not active anyway. So, just my and, comment. And then also, Eric, oh, oh go I was going to say, Eric, you, you know, you live in Memphis. Uh, I'm not far from Charlotte. Uh, the weather service and TV stations can also use the terminal Dopplers that are at select airports throughout the country, and that also uh, can kind of give a more local scale than you know per se Charlotte, 85 miles from Greenville. It kind of gives that more local scan. Exactly. Yep. And then there's also sales that's available on some of these, these uh, WSR, we call them WSR 88D, 1988 uh, generation satellites. And so there's also a little bit of talk. I think, I'm, I'm not sure if this is a huge weighing factor, but there's a lot of talk about the next generation of satellite. I'm sorry, radar. We actually satellite goes that is already out. Uh, the next generation radar, which is going to be the phased array generation, possibly being introduced in 2019, 2020. So that's another reason why they may hold back and say, oh, we don't want to stick with this old technology. We might wait for them to do it. Uh, so I don't know any thoughts on that. Yeah, the, the from what I've heard through uh, conferences and so forth um, is phased array is is actually probably 2030-ish before it actually gets out to uh, replace most of the, the 88Ds. But all of the 88Ds are going through a refurbishment process right now to extend their life, uh, a basically extend the shelf life and, and you know, replace the war the parts that wear and so forth. And each of the radars has a, a downtime, you know, of a couple of weeks to be able to do that. But, you know, I think that I believe that the goal for that is to try and extend their life, you know, another decade or so to get them to where the phased array will be ready to start deploying. So it's going to be a while, I think, before we see uh, that. And Jared, you made the point, uh, the Oklahoma City market, the Tulsa market, uh, you know, out there they have a lot of research with uh, uh, OU. I wonder in the next five years or so if we'll see one of those TV stations get a Doppler on wheels. It will shock. I mean, there's TV stations that already have that. Or, you know, they have these, uh, I, I believe they have uh, some of the NBC ONOs, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, have some of the... Uh, have these Storm Ranger S-band uh, uh, portable radars. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm making this up. Maybe I hallucinated this, but <laughs> I want to say that there are some TV stations. Yeah, you're like right. Dan just put it in our Facebook chat. Dan, yeah, Washington Dan Facebook. Andrews just posted about from Washington Post. Uh, let me pull it up on screen here. Yeah. Yeah. Quickly going back to the 88Ds and the Service Life Extension Project too, you know, another thing that they're adding now is in addition to sales, which is just one, low-level cut. Now they're going to do something called MRLE. It's not a meal that's ready later to eat. It's uh, uh, it's basically additional like sales-like scans, but higher up in the atmosphere. So where we would where we get the temporal resolution of the low-level scan, now we're going to get that temporal resolution for the four split cuts. Um, uh, un, you know, uh, additional on top of those. So that's kind of interesting. 
That is. Well, James, I know you've been monitoring the Facebook Live, but I know you have baby Theo, so um, you have some questions. Baby Theo's taking a walk or go to bottle. Oh, how's it going? <laughs> family night. Bring the kids to work. Uh, yeah, we have been uh, watching the comments, and Dan was uh, chiming in on this conversation. Do appreciate that. Don't mind the side of my head here while I look over to the left to just scroll through this. We've got a lot of conversation going tonight, guys, and we really do appreciate that conversation. I see Meredith in here and Dan, and uh, we did have some other ones as I scroll back up. So We did have one from uh, Dane Clement asking how many will come off of Africa, um, and I went ahead and uh, pulled up some see if I can figure out how to get this up. Okay, so going back to the NOAA seasonal outlook for the hurricane season, uh, they're calling for, eh, you know, near normal for the most part. Uh, 10 to 16 named storms, five non hurricanes, one to four major. The updated one from Colorado State University, this is one that Phil Klotzbach I, I spoke of earlier, helped work on. And uh, this is on the Weather Channel, but this is reflecting the... Um, CSU forecast, and and they're they're pretty much close to that. Ten to sixteen, five to nine hurricanes, one to four category three or higher. How many of those come off of Africa has yet to be determined. It just depends on when the African dust settles or when there's a there's a least amount of surge of that dust over the um, over the ITCZ or the intertropical convergence zone, and then how much activity is actually ongoing. So some of the numbers were actually lowered where we think it might be a little bit weaker season because El Nino is forecast to develop this summer, possibly. And also we're not on the La Nina anymore. We're actually on El Nino watch. Um, so when we have an El Nino in the Pacific, that tends to weaken um, the activity in the Atlantic. And so we're kind of teeter tottering right there on that. So we have that to consider. Um, and, and then also the tropical Atlantic waters are cooler than normal right now. Um, and, and typically they're at a, a, a temperature where it's very conducive for development, at least from the surface waters. Now, you also have to think about the upper atmosphere. Is there a lot of shear loft? Is there uh, cooperation on all levels for a system to develop? So coming off of Africa, it takes a lot, actually, for a storm to really hold and develop and then strengthen as it slowly heads to the west, to the west-northwest. They usually encounter quite a few hurdles. Uh, so that has yet to be determined. I mean, I, I stay in line with 10 to 14 storms. I would I couldn't even throw a number on how many would come off of Africa. We're going to see a lot of waves coming off of Africa, uh, but the actual, actual, absolute number is going to be hard to say. I mean, I would stick with the 10 to 14 and 10 to 16 named storms for the year. Uh, and the next one is going to be Debbie because uh, we've already had Chris and then Ernesto after that. So, we're, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes as it progresses. We're going to see things pick up a little bit next month, uh, maybe even at the end of this month. This depends on a few things, a few factors. And then of course our uh, busiest time of the season is September. So we're still a couple months out from that. So um, Eric, I know you were uh, doing some decision support with the 4th of July activities. Um, how did that, how did that go there in the Memphis area? Um, yeah, actually uh, I was, that was when I was out of town. So I was not doing decision support for July 4th, although sometimes I do. Um, but there was a, um, several, several discussions that came up, um, especially on a, uh, social science, um, Facebook group that I'm a part of that, uh, talks about weather and decision support and social science. I'll share my screen and let you kind of take a look here at, um, at the, the issue at hand kind of provide you a little bit of, uh, background as to what was going on. So several places, um, had, uh, lightning going on during their July 4th um, activities. And this one was actually fairly close to home here. Um, this was a picture that was taken um, about an hour and a half east of here um, on uh, uh, Pickwick Lake, which is kind of a recreational area, but there's a lot of folks that have, uh, you know, second homes or, or kind of cabins and stuff out on this lake. And obviously the picture uh, is beautiful. It's showing, you know, the fireworks going off, the lightning in the background, but that was, the beauty of it was kind of secondary to me to what I, what I kind of made out of this as well. And that is the coexistence of those two phenomena. Um, and what really made it even more, um, I guess sad in my in my thought um, was that this uh, right before these uh, fireworks went off, uh, there was actually a fatality due to a severe thunderstorm uh, at that lake, um, where a tree from a severe thunderstorm fell on a car, uh, damaged the car horribly, um, and the occupant of the vehicle was killed. Um, and 
they uh, from word that I had kind of received secondhand, and then um, and then also some direct knowledge after the fact. Um, they they basically had more thunderstorms that were coming in uh, later on, and so they kind of squeezed the fireworks in between the storms. And you can see the second uh, storm there in the background starting to make its way in. A uh, little more context here. Um, David Drobny, who runs Nash Severe Weather over in uh, in the Nashville area, uh, actually spoke to one of the first responders that was there that night. Um, and there, the discussion was about, um, you know, whether or not this should have gone on and, and what kind of weather support were they potentially receiving. Um, and his comments here kind of outline what they were dealing with. He spoke to one of those first responders and, and basically their volunteers um, kind of stretched thin. Uh, during a big event like this that's in a fairly rural area and most of them were um, you know responding to the needs of the individual who had um, been stricken by the by the first storm there's not really a good way to uh, or mechanism to alert the community if they're going to change plans um, for an event like this and so I'm just interested in kind of what what the thoughts are um, you know it's it's different and i and i kind of wish ashley were on here because i know she would have some great commentary on this she she uh did provide decision support as well down there in texas for july 4th um and you know when you've got well organized um and and paid people who are um you know watching out for this sort of thing i think sometimes um it's a little bit easier to communicate when you're when you're kind of doing it a little bit more ad hoc and you've got volunteers sometimes it's a little harder to um if you're going to make a decision, get the communication out correctly um, and, and make sure that you're taking the, the proper action. So what are you guys' thoughts on, on seeing this and knowing what went on and, and how we as a weather community should be responding to this sort of thing? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I, obviously with lightning, you know, when we do our work at the speedway, we have set parameters. And once it's within that parameter, even if the storm's moving away, we've, we've halted activity. Um, most of the time it's between eight and 10 miles. And even if that storm's moving away, if it's within that parameter, uh, we're halting activities. Um, it's, it's, it's tough because I know there's organizers and there's events, there's sports teams and stuff. They've, they've, you know, put so much time and effort and, and funds into that, that, you know, you want to have it at that time, but ultimately, you know, what do you want to have more? Do you want to have a safe event or a, an unsafe event? I, I recall an act uh, back in May during um, speed weeks at Charlotte Motor Speedway, we had a, a concert and um, uh, put on by a country artist and, and one of the uh, restaurants was doing a, uh, was doing a fashion show and um you know we had lightning within six miles and, and we just told those organizers like you know we we know you don't want to do this but we've, we've got to stop because we have fifteen thousand people here for this concert and you know their safety is our number one priority so it's just where's that line that you draw and, and what you know what's the what's the repercussions of maybe delaying something or, or pushing it back a, a day or something it's, it's it's a tough call, but with us in the weather community, we know about like and, and you know our our job and our our you know what we're supposed to do is keep folks safe, and you know that's as as a consultant, you know you you can only give the information that that you have. But it's still up to I guess the organizers to to act on that. Does that make sense? I'm sure you have the same thing, Eric, when you're doing your consultant. Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. And so when, you know, when there's somebody there that is, um, that is kind of in charge of, of providing that information and, and doesn't have to worry about some of the uh, ancillary, um, you know, t uh, things that are going on around you, um, like, like a lot of times when you've got, um, you know, you've got maybe a county EMA who is not only just doing the weather, um, but also has to deal with, you know, the ramifications of all of that. Um, you can't possibly do it all uh, at the same time. And so it's obviously beneficial to have somebody there that's just that's their job is to just to watch the weather and tap somebody on the shoulder or grab them by the shirt collar if you need to, if there's something else going on and saying, Hey, look, we've got this going on. Um, and I, I don't know necessarily, you know, lightning at night obviously can be seen from, from a very long distance. In that case, uh, it didn't look real far away, but you know, I'm not saying that what they did specifically was unsafe at that time, but you know, my thought goes back to, we just, we just had this event occur and cause this, ha this to happen. It's fresh in my mind. Uh, 
you know, are we are we making the right decision to to go ahead and go on with this when we know there's another threat that's just down the road? And I'm not I'm not questioning anybody's decision making that night. I was not there. I didn't you know, I don't know exactly what happened. Um, but the the um, picture that it portrays uh, is uh, is kind of difficult. So. Yeah, Shay, I'm glad you put pulled that up because I had that email put up. Um, since our last show on June 27th, we've had one, two, three, four, five. We've had six lightning deaths occur. Um, a couple in Florida, one in Georgia, one in Missouri, one in Arkansas, one in Tennessee. So, uh, you know, the, we're up to 13 now. Is that right? Yeah, 13 lightning deaths so far. And uh, we get these emails from uh, John Jensenius, who's been a guest on our show from uh, for the past couple of years, and he uh, met, he put in his last email that we are reaching the peak season. You know, from now through mid to late August is when everyone is outdoors, and uh, it, it's it's the time that we see lightning deaths um, really um, increase. So. Um, yeah, that's something to watch. And I don't know if you guys can see, but Eric, while you were talking about this, and Jared and Shay, you guys can chime in. Eric, I know you as well, because uh, all of us, even uh, where James is at, we all have baseball stadiums in our cities that we live in. And um, so I, I had this foul ball on my desk, and it reminded me uh, we had an event a couple of days before the 4th of July, uh, minor league baseball. Uh, they have folks in from everywhere uh, to watch fireworks and, and to watch games. And I literally was I'm, – I'm doing weather for our minor league team, and I can only tell them what's going on. Once play has started, the, it's in the umpire's hands. And the umpires are the ones that cancel the game or postpone it or suspend it or whatever. whatever. We had lightning two miles from the stadium, and they were still playing because – the umpires deemed it to be safe. And unfortunately, I think between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, it's going to take a lightning death before that control is transferred to someone else who has better resources to look um, at what's going on. Uh, do you guys have anything anything to kind of chime in on that? Well, just that we always remember that, you know, uh, lightning can strike 30 miles away from a storm. Um, you know, we, we had that here in Charleston, uh, where a lightning bolt, we estimated somewhere around 15 miles away, hit the beach. It was a radial pattern. There was lightning strikes away from this one storm one day. It was really odd. It was just, just one storm firing lightning off in different directions all around. And, uh, it took a lot of people by surprise. In fact, we had someone struck over the weekend. We had three people with one bolt of lightning on the beach. One person was in the water. They were doing CPR. I don't know. If that person, I've, I've, I've been hearing that that person is still in critical condition. Um, another man injured, a, a kid was injured as well. Uh, and it's from one bolt, just from being out on the beach during thunderstorm activity. Um, I mean, you know, it's the bolt out of the blue. You can be out there on a day and, and sky's blue overhead. You don't even hear thunder and a lightning crashes right over you. Um, and so, you know, lightning safety is huge this time of the year. And, and John Jensenius, you know, he keeps... You know, up with the lightning fatalities, and uh, you know, last year was was a, an all time low. It was good. I think people are starting to pay more attention. But when you start to have these events and these things, people are kind of pushing the envelope with it. It's it's not. I don't think the smartest decision. I know there's a lot of money riding on it. So there's an argument at a point there that there's you know tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars riding on a 15 minute window to try to get some fireworks up in the air and make everybody happy that have taken all the time off. There's no such thing as fifth of July fireworks. Um, and that's hard to sort of organize that unless there's extreme, I think, I think towns could do it. It's, it's, it's a tough topic to try to, um, you know, it costs a lot of money to sort of push a, an event back, but at the same time, the safety aspect has to come first. Yeah. It's a real gamble if you don't. Right. I mean, okay. Okay. You know, well, it only takes one person, right? One one person for you know tremendous bad publicity, and uh, you know we had a situation. You know, I mean, you know, Scotty brings up the baseball stadium. We had uh, a few weeks ago, we had uh, thunderstorms nearby the the River Dog Stadium. In fact, I think I used that as a tweet of the week, where he had a, a beautiful lightning bolt. You know, beautiful lightning bolts in the distance, and and it was uh, it was a great shot. It was a great picture. But those people should not have been in the stands. Um, 
because there was a lightning strike, you know, a mile away from the stadium. It's a miracle that no one was hurt. Um, it, it's just, and that was at a stratiform rain too. Keep in mind, like, there's a reason why they say 30 minutes after the last rumble, because I mean, that was coming out of, you know, Stratiform rain after it feels like okay the storm has calmed down and then all of a sudden you get these two we got these two lightning strikes that were just you know it created this thunder that just absolutely jolted everybody downtown I was downtown that evening and it was uh, it was very loud it sounded like a bomb went off and uh, it was very close and so and that was well after you know the bulk of the rain had moved through I mean it was just kind of like drizzling at that point just just a little you know just the cloud precipitating out so uh so yeah i mean we, we've got to be uh you know we, we hate to hear about these uh you know lightning injuries and fatalities and you know we really need people to understand that you know you know you know you, you hate to you hate to be cliche here but you know, when thunder roars go indoors guys yeah they just came out with a new jingle for that too that was um not not badly done not badly done uh one more right, we got another viewer question and uh it is let me go and look real quick Stephen lynn i'm sorry Stephen lynn uh, it's from the Florida Panhandle. He's asking, uh, do you think that August and September will be busy for the hurricane season? And so uh, I'm going to put this up on screen so you can see it. And uh, this is sort of your timeline for hurricane activity, historically speaking, from the time we've been recording storms or the time that science and meteorology has been recording storms. And uh, we see you know, things start to pick up in August. So, yes, uh, we'll see definitely see some, some additional activity in August. Uh, we peak on September the 10th. That's the date where uh, after that, things start to sort of calm down. But you can see the buildup from August into the first week or two of September uh, being the peak there. So, of course, yes, I mean, going by this graph and going by uh, history, absolutely. I would say August and September are probably going to be our busier months. Uh, and again, we have to watch the tropical Atlantic across the equator and then uh, even closer to home for homegrown systems to maybe be they may be the players this year. Um, so we'll have to watch and see, but that, that timeline right there gives you an idea of what, what to expect on an annual basis. And let's see back to Jared. I think you want to give a shout out to a couple of initiatives going on. Yeah, I know we're getting close to the end here. Um, just a, a couple things and maybe we go into tweets for, maybe we go into tweets with, with, with this. What do you guys think? Um, Sounds good. Yeah, if you guys have got tweets, because this the, the first one is a tweet. Actually, there's a couple tweets, so I'm going to kind of cheat with the tweet of the week, and we're just going to do two tweets of the week um, for me. So I'm just going to cheat here. Let me pull this up. So the first shout-out, uh, first uh, mention goes out to at CFCWX on Twitter. So the College of Charleston Meteorology Program has had their Twitter account approved. Um, a friend of the show, uh, Trevor Gibbs, was uh, instrumental in uh, helping get this started, and so um, we're the only meteorology program. It's College of Charleston Meteorology Program is the only program of its kind in South Carolina. So please do give them a follow. Um, it's really exciting to see uh, the caliber of uh, people that have been there. Um, that are there. Uh, Shay and I went to uh, a, a symposium there a couple months ago now. I've, if it, God, was it like three months ago now? I mean, it was, time flies, and there was a lot of interest with uh, Dr. Marshall Shepard, and there was a lot of interest there, and it was a really good talk, and so. Uh, it's uh, it's really fantastic to see this program continuing to grow, and we hope that uh, you know we we hope that they can uh, continue to uh, uh, attract a lot of good talent. I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to audit a few classes myself, so because uh, it just sounds like fun. So there's that, and then um, the uh, school. Uh, so keeping with uh, my alma mater here, let's see here. Let's see. Um, you know what? I'm going to skip that, but I will say this. Uh, let me unshare my screen real quick. Uh, save the date for uh, it, for the software engineers that are, are watching this program, the 24th, 25th, 26th. The Charleston Floods Hack will be going on. Uh, it's a project of the South Carolina Sea Grant um, and uh, Department of Homeland Security uh, to build uh, tools to help increase uh, preparedness and awareness of uh Coastal flooding, uh, you know, Shay mentioned my coast earlier, and this is a similar, this is kind of a similar initiative there. So, um, but something that's uh, maybe consumer focused, maybe uh, API focused, hard to say. Uh, we want to see what you bring to the table. So, uh, you know, so start marking those down 24th through the 26th in Charleston. It's going to be a, it's going to be a good time. Uh, and I'm personally really excited to see uh, what people are going to come up with. So, Scotty, back to you, man. All right, thank you for that, Jared. Uh, I'm going to share my tweet of the week. And is it okay if I share my own tweet? 
Is there any rules against that? Uh, we've no, been I think we do it a lot. Yeah, we've been <laughs> doing it for a while, Scotty. So go ahead and pat yourself on the back first. There, here, well, this, this picture is not from me. This is from Can Candy Mashburn. This was last Friday. Uh, that cold front that ushered in the cooler temperatures over the weekend um, fired up some severe weather in western North Carolina, and this was taken in the uh, George Hildebrand community. Uh, this is uh, Shady Grove Baptist Church. A severe wind, damaging wind gust came through, and as you can see, it knocked the uh, brick church sign down. It also blew uh, off the uh, siding off of one of the uh, sides of the church there. So that was some um, pretty powerful winds that moved through uh, the George Hildebrand community. So that's my tweet of the week. Um, props to Candy Mashburn for sending in those pictures. I've got uh, my tweet of the week pulled up here. And like Scotty, it is my own tweet, but it comes from our own Carolina Weather Group stream. I think this was Friday. We had those flash floods come through the uh, Charlotte area. And so we had the cameras streaming for you on our live platforms from USGS. And someone violated the cardinal rule of turn around, don't drown. You can hopefully see them there. I photoshopped an arrow in with the word wrong. You don't know how swift those waters are or how deep it is or whether or not there's even a road underneath. So please, folks, don't drive across flooded roadways, especially when we can see you. <laughs> Man, and that, that, that system in Charlotte, that just blew up. That was a lot of heavy rain in a short amount of time there. And James, as you know, most of Charlotte's concrete and pavement anyway. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, that's why it's really nice that the USGS has those cameras uh, scattered across town. And you can see we had two of them streaming because not only does it give us uh, an, an, a bird eyes view, an eyewitness view to what's happening, especially along those those waterways here in Charlotte. You know, we have so many creeks, but it gives the National Weather Service a view, too. So, you know, they're in you know, Greenville, Spartanburg. and It gives them kind of an eye on what's happening. Definitely so. All right, Shay, I see you have yours pulled up. Go ahead. Yep, I chose uh, Facebook because uh, the Twitter video is not quite as big. This is Reed Timmer uh, with a haboob. This is out in uh, Yuma, Arizona, and this is also known as a dust storm or sandstorm. This is a big one. Uh, they've had a couple of days lately going on. This is the time of the year where we start to see a little bit more of the, uh, the storm activity over the deserts. And so when you have collapsing storms, they release this giant microburst, which stirs up these giant sandstorms and, uh, and they're called Haboobs originally. So I'll go ahead and push play and you can sort of see, uh, I know the video output through isn't, isn't quite as smooth, but if you go to Reed Timmer's page on Facebook, Reed Timmer extreme meteorologist right there, bottom left corner, you can see uh, this really impressive feature. It looks like something out of a movie, but it really is just a, a dust storm or a sandstorm. It does kick up a lot of um, activity and folks do need to go inside and, and uh, get out of it. They end up having to pull over off the side of the road, but you can see how impressively large this is. I always argue that um, these sandstorms, if you if you were to kind of take a, a coastal sea breeze, uh, some of the same properties, if you could put dye in the air for a sea breeze, it might look something like this. Of course, it doesn't move as fast as a sandstorm, but yeah, some of the same properties. But uh, anyways, yeah, check it out. It's a really, really neat video. Uh, this one, it's not very long. I think about, what, two minutes, maybe a minute and a half long. But you Can get I, some really, really impressive. Uh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Shay. Yeah. I, I didn't mean to step on you. I was trying not to be rude, but with the delay, I kept doing it. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to show the same thing from another angle because it's. I had another really cool angle of this haboob I wanted to show. And I was trying to do it politely, and I totally stepped on you. I did not mean to do that. This is from the Fox station out there. Flash player is required to view this video. My computer is <laughs> just not cooperating tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. I got this. Hey, they took a helicopter and they flew up and down the haboob. James, do you remember us categorizing those uh, warnings and advisories and stuff on on your platform for work? And we talked about these dust storm warnings. This is where that would come in. Yes, Perfect. there it is. That's pretty cool. Oh, Shay, I thought you would like that, which is why I was trying to get it to play. I'm I'm sorry, my friend. No, it's cool. Yeah, I did see that one earlier too. It's just it was moving so fast. Um, and that's like super, super speed, but that's cool because you get a different perspective on, on its motion, you know, really, really cool how it advances that way. I know it's very flat out there, but I kept thinking, and maybe Eric can chime in on this, that helicopter seems too close. <laughs> that it is pretty close, but I think, uh, when you put it at normal speed, it's probably, probably not much different than they do in Oklahoma going around the tornadoes that are <laughs> spinning out there. I'd rather be you know, in front of a boob. Yeah. Eric, how, do you, how do you put that? 
how do you put that into a task forecast for the day? Uh, you do uh, lower visibility and blowing dust and wind. <laughs> Is that actually how you do that? You Make don't have to worry. Do it. <laughs> I was say, how, how often do you have to worry about that, Eric, in Memphis? I mean, you guys are a little oh, bit flatter no, no. than else here in the Carolinas. No, but for Phoenix, Tucson. Um, yeah, those, those would be the main two places. Maybe Vegas every once in a while. Uh, they get those, but yeah, there was like, I think I saw 60 to 80 mile an hour winds, uh, out of that one as it went down, um, towards Southwest Arizona. Uh, was that one last night or the night before, you know, severe thunderstorm warning with the blowing dust and what a mess. Um, okay. So moving on. And I think that you guys just made up that term because you were trying to get ratings on the show too. So I know, I, I know that was, wow, that's a brand new term. We've never heard that before. <laughs> so, all right. So here's mine. We'll end on a very pleasant note tonight. Uh, this is from uh, one of our um, local broadcasters here in the Memphis area. Joyce Peterson always takes great photos and is a uh, hardest working gal in the news world here in Memphis, I think. And uh, if you want to go back to Monday, this was the end of Monday for us. Uh, and if I got to look forward to this every night on a Monday, I might take a few more Mondays as well. So just a beautiful shot looking down uh, towards the Mississippi River. That's actually uh, a harbor that is not the width of the river. The river's on the other side of the um, of the island that's out there in the middle, but that's what we call Mud Island. There's an amphitheater over there, and the bridge going over the Mississippi is uh, carrying Interstate 40 uh, across Memphis to uh, Arkansas. So beautiful shot looking from the bluffs here in Memphis out across the river. Well, on this show tonight, we've talked about tropics and lightning, safety, and how everybody loves Monday. Oh, oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I got you, Scotty. Okay. I think Eric may just... Scotty's oh. still muted, I think. Oh, Eric think can't hear me. me. Oh, we could say things about Eric now? <laughs> I don't think Eric can hear us. Can you hear us, Eric? Mm. What are things Eric. we wanted to say about Eric this whole time but couldn't he do it because he could he, hear us? Memphis, he we have hear. a problem. Oh, my. I Eric. think that's just another sign that we are done with our open mic night. Yeah. yeah. Eric's I want to sh- share one more thing about haboobs. Haboobs, <laughs> <laughs> haboobs, All right. So I've got another tweet. I'm going to do a three. I'm going to do a hat trick here. All right. So um, our friend William Churchill, um, with a very rare radar post, I had to double check to see that this was him. It wasn't Go 16. Um, so this is a this is a loop from Apology to Page of reflectivity and correlation coefficient of the haboob. As it moved through, as it, as it moved through, so that that haboob looked like a big microburst, um, but then when you put on the correlation coefficient, you can see very low values of CC, and so that's a uh, so it was picked up all over the place. You know, storm chasers, radar. I'm sure you could see it on. I'm sure you could see it on the satellite as well. Uh, pretty cool. And Would I don't you consider know. that a, maybe a dry microburst, macroburst. Dry macroburst. You ever heard that before? Yeah. I mean, nothing shocks me these days. So, Eric, if you can hear us, can you hear us now? I can, yes. And we can hear you. Eric's going to, he's going to call it a rain bomb that caused it. (laughs) It was was a dry rain bomb. It was a dry rain bomb. It was was, a burga bomb. That's what it was. I was going to say, you mentioned uh, our our friend uh, Churchill. Uh, You know, William, he's been on our show before. And, I believe he just got a promotion to the Florida Keys. Am I not right? Yes. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, isn't yeah. that awesome? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Uh, especially with his wife uh, still uh, working on a PhD up in the Northeast. He's moving farther away from her. <laughs> so, wow. Wow. Uh, and we've had um, Taylor Trogdon on before also. He was a Memphis uh, Weather Service alum that was with the Storm Surge Unit. We had him on in the fall, and I see he is now with UCAR, I think, down there in Miami. So oh. folks moving all over the place. I didn't know UCAR had – meteorologist in miami i didn't either that's interesting all right well we'll end our show tonight i can't believe we actually went an hour without a guest tonight that's uh we didn't know in our little pre-chat we didn't know if we could make it an hour so but we we did so that's that's pretty cool but uh everyone thanks for watching uh just kind of give you a brief uh update on what's going on with our upcoming shows i'm actually going to show you our schedule because we need your help. Here's uh, here's what it looks like for the next, uh, well, through October 24th. Do you see all these yellow boxes? 
We need your suggestions. Those yellow boxes are open week, uh, open weeks, and we would love to uh, to know what you would like for us to talk about. Maybe some potential guests that you would like for us to um, have on the show. So send those uh, requests to us and myself, or Eric, or Shay, or Jared, or James. We can uh, reach out to those folks and uh, see if we can get them on our show. But again, next week we have Roger Edwards on from the Storm Prediction Center. He's going to be talking about tropical tornadoes. Uh, on the 25th of July, our um, Dr. Kreipner is going to be back talking about volcanoes. And then Ashley's uh, um, scheduled a show about uh, volunteers and flood events, how to manage all of that. Uh, Duratios, MCSs, and MCVs, what does all that mean? We know that uh, those are popular terms in the summertime. We're going to have uh, Rush, uh, Russ Shoemaker on. Uh, from uh, Colorado State to talk about that. So those are a few of our shows coming up. But again, all those yellow highlighted areas, and if you're listening on our podcast, we have about six or seven um, of the uh, dates that are not filled yet. So if you have any suggestions, please feel free to send them our way, and we will do our best to reach out to them. So for everyone, thanks for watching us here on the Carolina Weather Group. We hope you have a great weekend, and we will see you back here next Wednesday night for another episode of our little weather get-together. Have a great weekend. Goodbye.